Thank you for downloading this podcast from Pardes, North America. This episode of Pardes from Jerusalem features Aviva Lauer and Parashat Bo. Find the latest episode of Pardes from Jerusalem by visiting us online at elmod.pardes.org. And now, here is Aviva Lauer. This is Aviva Lauer, director of the Pardes Center for Jewish Educators, and today we're going to talk about Parshat Bo, and specifically the plague of locusts that takes place in Parshat Bo, and not only the plague itself, but what can we learn from these locusts about other locusty expressions uh, that are used in the Torah, um, both before and, and after this plague. But before we get to that, I want to just dedicate this podcast to my daughter, Lulu, this Parsha, Parshat Bo, is her bat mitzvah Parsha, and just a year ago, in January of 2021, she had her bat mitzvah, she was bat mitzvah, and she read the Parsha, the entire thing, to a very, very small group of people, since we were in the strictest lockdown that Israel had had at that point, and I'm very, very proud of her, and this is dedicated to her. And this year, hopefully, she will be reading it this weekend to a larger group. Please, God. All right, let's get to the plague of Arbe, the plague of locusts. In Parshat Bo, we have three plagues that are talked about. The last three plagues, the first seven were uh, told, we were told about those in Parshat Va'era. And now we get to the plague of locusts, the plague of darkness, Choshech, and the plague of the killing of the firstborn, Makat Bechorot. And here is what we are told in Parshat Bo about the plague of locusts. Then God said to Moshe, go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his courtiers in order that I may display these my signs among them, and that you may recount in the hearing of your child and of your child's child how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and how I displayed my signs among them, in order that you may know that I'm the Lord. So then Moshe and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may worship me. Shalach ami vayavduni. And then Moshe goes on and says, if you refuse to let my people go, tomorrow I will bring locusts on your territory. They shall cover the surface of the land so that no one will be able to see the land. They shall devour the surviving remnant that was left to you after the hail, and they shall eat away all your trees that grow in the field. Moreover, they shall fill your palaces and the houses of all your courtiers and of all the Egyptians." something that neither your father nor father's fathers have ever seen from the day they appeared on earth to this day. And with that, he turned and left Pharaoh's presence. Well, what happens next? Pharaoh himself might not be moved, but Pharaoh's courtiers say to him, how long shall this one be a snare to us? Let the men go to worship the Lord their God. Are you not yet aware that Egypt is lost? They say it in this plaintive, really desperate tone. It's lost. Don't you see? Don't you see what's going on? 
And at that point, Pharaoh says, okay, bring them back and, you know, ask them what will happen. And, you know, I'm assuming, I'm just imagining in my mind's eye, the courtiers standing around and really just hoping that Pharaoh had heard their message. And, um, but what does Pharaoh say? He doesn't just say, okay, fine, you can go. He says, go worship the Lord, your God. Who are the ones to go? There's that, you can almost hear that, that second in between his telling them to go and wait, who's going? And then Pharaoh and Moses, Moshe, get into an argument about it, essentially, because Moshe says, everybody's going to go. And Pharaoh says, no, not everyone's going to go. Just the menfolk are going to go. And Moshe says, no. And so Pharaoh kicks Moshe and Aaron out of his palace. And that, of course, is when God says to Moshe, hold out your arm over the land of Egypt for the locusts that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat up all the grasses in the land, whatever the hail has left. So that's what happens. Moshe holds out his rod over the land of Egypt and God drove an east wind over the land all that day and all night. And when morning came, the east wind had brought the locusts. And what it did look like, what did it look like? Locusts invaded all the land of Egypt and settled within all the territory of Egypt in a thick mass. Never before had there been so many, nor will there ever be so many again. They hid all the land from view, and the land was darkened, and they ate up all the grasses of the field and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left, so that nothing green was left of tree or grass of the field in all the land of Egypt. And then, of course, at that point, Pharaoh calls to Moshe again and says, you know, you have to deal with this. I can't handle this. Remove this death from me. Um, and so that is when um, they they pray to God. They ple Moshe pleads with God and God causes a shift to a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and hurled them into the Sea of Reeds. Not a single locust remained in all the territory of Egypt. But then, of course, the last verse of the story, but the Lord stiffened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites go. That is Shemot, Perak Yud, Psukim Aleph at Kaf, Exodus chapter 10, verses 1 to 20. So what do we have here? We, we hear a lot about the fact that there are there is a swarm of locusts and they're coming in and anything that wasn't destroyed by the previous plague the previous plague was hail they the locusts ate so imagine imagine for a moment there has been a plague of hail which is crazy hard hail which has for its frozen fire, essentially, according to the commentators or some of the commentators, it has come down and it has destroyed almost everything. And then these this cloud of locusts come and they're desperate for food. So they are looking everywhere and they they come in and eat whatever is left. So besides the really I have to say, the grossness of the whole thing, it's incredibly destructive. There's nothing left for the Egyptians to eat. Now, I want to just tell you a little bit about locusts here. Um, you might not 
realize this, but locusts are actually just grasshoppers. You know those cute little grasshoppers? What's so bad about a locust? Well, grasshoppers in and of themselves aren't really awful. You know, Jiminy Cricket, it's not, it's not a, an awful gross thing at all to most people. Um, but here's what you need to know. Grasshoppers, when they are in what is called their solitary phase, they're harmless, right? They don't pose a threat to plants or to farming. Um, but under certain weather conditions, the grasshoppers begin to produce what the brain chemical called serotonin. We know that's the that's the happy brain chemical, right? But um, whatever is causing this to happen um, environmentally, the grasshoppers have this surge of serotonin and it causes major changes in their body and behavior. So they begin to breed profusely um, and they feel the need to be together as with other grasshoppers. And it's, it's actually called the gregarious phase. Um, so they form groups of wingless babies and then later they become swarms of winged adults. And then the babies and adults move around. They travel great, great distances eating all of the green vegetation wherever they settle, right? So while one grasshopper can be sweet and cute, a swarm of grasshoppers is incredibly, incredibly destructive. So imagine they're in this phase, the gregarious phase, they're incredibly hungry also. They're all, there's many, many of them and they're they're looking to, to eat. So if they come into Egypt and there's nothing to eat there because the barad, the hail has destroyed everything previously, well, they're going to try to find food anywhere. And so they go into the houses. It's really both incredibly destructive and incredibly yucky. Okay, so wonderful. We've talked about how gross the plague of locusts was in the land of Egypt. But here's what I want to do. I actually want to talk about this um, idea of of locusts, you know, grasshoppers on steroids, in order to learn about something else that we hear about in the desert. Um, and I hope that this will um, inform our understanding of that other story a little bit. If we jump forward about a year, um, 14, 15 months in time in the desert, and we um, come to the story of the 12 spies, right? We come to the story where God says, after, after Sinai, they've, the, the Israelites have been given the Torah, and they, it's really time for them to go into the land of Israel, right? They've been out of Egypt already for 14, 15 months, and God says, send in some touristy spies some to do reconnaissance, and let them check what the land is like. Let them see what the fruit is like. Let them see what the people are like. And then they can come back and give you a report and you'll be ready. You know, you'll know what things will be like. And indeed, every, every tribe sends, sends a representative and they go in and they see what they see. And they come back with this very large, lots of, lots of large fruit. They give their report but they're very scared. They say, we came into the land to which you sent us, and it's actually flowing with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. 
but mighty is the people that dwells in the land. And the towns are fortified and very big. And also the offspring of the giant we saw there. Amalek lives there and the Chiti and the Yivusi and the Emburi and the Canaani. Yeah. So then Kalev, who is one of the two um, spies who actually believes that they can do it. Yes, we can. Caleb silenced the people around Moshe and said, we will surely go up and take hold of it. We will surely prevail over it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we cannot go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And here's the kicker. They put forth an ill report to the Israelites of the land that they had scouted, saying the land through which we passed to scout is a land that consumes those who dwell in it. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of huge measure. And there did we see the Nephilim, sons of the giant from the Nephilim. And we were in our own eyes like grasshoppers. And so we were in their eyes. The, the last verse there, this is Bamidbar, Parakud Gimel, Pasuk Lamed Gimel, Numbers chapter 13, verse 33. V'sham ra'inu et nephilim b'nei anak min nephilim V'nihi v'enenu kachagavim v'chen hayinu b'enehem. Chagavim are grasshoppers. We were in our own eyes like grasshoppers, and so we were in their eyes, or so we must have been in their eyes. So all the commentators, as I have seen, understand that sentence as, well, look, we were, there were, they're, they're giants and we were like grasshoppers. We were so tiny. They are the tiniest of the tiny. Um, that, that the grasshopper is seen as really the smallest, the smallest eater of uh, predator, let's say, and you know, it's it's their way of saying we were nothing. We were chopped liver. We were so we were. They're so huge, and where they and we are. They are so huge, and we are so small. But here's what I have to ask you: These people, with their very own eyes, saw fourteen or fifteen months earlier what happened. Grasshoppers are nothing to sneeze at. The opposite. Grasshoppers can be the most destructive, the most strong. They, the grasshoppers destroyed Egypt when they swarmed and became a plague of locusts. So what in the world are these spies saying? We were in our own eyes like grasshoppers. We were so, how, what, what did they mean by that? We were in our own eyes like grasshoppers, and so we were in their eyes. So I'm going I'm to offer two answers to you. Number one, knowing what we know now about locusts, maybe they're worried in some sense that they're going to be seen like a swarm, just coming in and taking over. Maybe they're worried that they're going to be seen as interlopers, which they certainly will be, um, they're not, maybe they're uncomfortable with being that sort of people who are going to enter the land and, and take over and be seen in a negative way. This verse includes several different terms for um, 
being fruitful and multiplying. Um, but the second one, Vayishritsu, comes from the root word, sheretz, shin reish tzadi. And that really means to swarm like insects. Remember, we're talking about the people of Israel here, right? That then when they're in Egypt, they start to become prolific. They start to, um, the, the nation starts to grow. But the language that's used about them is that they are swarming like insects. And that's not a very pretty description. I think what's happening there is an indication of what the Egyptians really thought about the Israelites in Egypt. Um, once they started growing, once there were lots and lots of them, the feeling amongst the Egyptians was, oh, those Israelites, those Jews, you know, there's so many of them. They always have so many kids. They're always running around. They're just like bugs. They're just like roaches. And perhaps I would suggest their fear of being seen like shratzim, of being seen like chagavim, like grasshoppers, is actually a fear of yet again being seen like shratzim, like swarming insects. They have spent hundreds of years being seen as bugs by the overseers. And perhaps they're tired of that and are just expressing, we are, we're afraid of going back into a land where there are, um, where we're going to be the other and we're going to be seen as the other and not just like, not just like interlopers, not, not mere interlopers, so to speak, but actually as bugs. And so that makes us feel really bad. We're, we're so, we're so tired of that. Be that as it may, we're not here to talk about Parshat Shlach and Bamidbar. We're here to talk about Parshat Bo and Shmot. But I think it's really interesting how you can intertextually look at one verse in Shmot, Yud, and then go fast forward to Bamidbar, Yud Gimel, and then run back again, rewind to Shmot Aleph, and help us understand this swarminess um, is something that was really prevalent and that they were aware of the Israelites when they were going, hopefully they were supposed to be going up into Israel and into the land of Canaan and, and understand perhaps their worry and hesitation at that moment in time. Thank you again for downloading this podcast, a production of Pardes North America. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcast. Be sure to follow us on Spotify for the latest episode of Pardes from Jerusalem or by visiting elmod.pardes.org. Tune in next week as Rabbi Leon Morris discusses Parashat Beshalach. Thanks for listening.